is Pull Request, live from the heart of Brooklyn. Pull Request is an hour-long podcast about everything in and relating to technology. Starring three techno experts, Eric Newman, hi, Chris Grabowski, hello, and Tyler Dinner. Hey there. This week's episode, Mighty Mobile Development. Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another pull request. My name is Eric Newman, and to the left of me is the wonderful, the sexy, the talented Chris Grabowski. Hi, how are you? I'm doing pretty well today. You're doing well today? Okay, good. And to your yeah. left is Tyler Dinner. Also wonderful, smart, and sexy. How are you, Tyler? Hey, everybody. I'm doing well. Thanks. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Nice nice for you guys to get here. Also, of course, this week is our wonderful uh, studio audience. Oh. Uh, okay. Sorry, guys. I, I guess you weren't ready for your cue. Like I was saying, our wonderful studio audience is here. That's right. I keep them in a Tupperware container during the week, and I let them out on Sundays just for us. How are you? And it uh, sounds like they're all doing really well. <laughs> well. I guess not, because they heard the news of the horrible attack in London last night. Uh, very rarely do we get to be on top of the new, a news cycle, but it looks like one just started. And, uh... That's... What, Kofefe? Sorry? What, Kofefe? No, the, there was a, a terror attack in London, on the London well, Bridge. Oh yeah, there's that. Last night. Yeah. No way, yeah. no. I know, it really, really sucks. But uh, that's all we have to say about that, because it's not about technology. Actually, uh, politicians have taken have, have not wasted any time in cr- trying to crowbar their agendas into this horrific terror attack. We'll have more on that after this, even though this isn't a political show. There is a, tec- a technological slice to it. Um, let's see, I asked you guys how you're doing, uh, last week, we, was our, uh, the second half of our two-parter on email, and despite our three hours of content for this discussion, we forgot to mention two things that were really popular in the email system of old, and they were Pine and Gopher. Uh, Christian, what is Pine? Uh, I actually don't know. Oh. Okay. Uh, Pine and Gopher are both, uh, or I should say, I, I don't, is Pine, Pine might just be an, um, a vintage male agent. It was a program that... That sounds you, right, because I'm almost positive that's not a protocol. No, Gopher is a protocol. Pine is a male client. Yeah, and go, it was created Gopher, by the uni- Okay. Well, then I should have asked what yeah. that was. <laughs> you can use Pine to read your Gopher mail. What is Gopher, Christian? Gopher's uh, one of like the earlier TCP-based uh, e- email protocols. Uh, okay, but ultimate, yeah. Was it more? And like what was internet? what was novel about it? Uh, well, it got replaced by uh, HTTP really for uh, email clients, but it was uh, kind of like uh, the wouldn't the, the the idea of having your email in your web browser was uh, something that Gopher uh, was working towards. Someone put uh, email in my web browser. Will someone put web browsers in my email? (laughs) Um, Yes. There were a few things that led to the decline of Gopher, uh, other than just more technology. One of it was that uh, the University of Minnesota, which I believe is where it started, uh, started charging for Gopher email. Or, sorry, started uh, charging for licensing fees for the use of its implementation of the Gopher server. As a consequence, some users were concerned that a licensing fee would also be charged for independent implementations. So, 
that made people want to step away from it. Gopher's client functionality was quickly duplicated by early web browsers such as Mosaic. Uh, and Gopher had a more rigid structure compared to the freeform HTML of the web. And um, anything else to add to that, Christian? Uh, nothing particularly, really. Right. I, I have a question. Uh, What's Christian, that, Tyler? Was was the use of Gopher, in my mind, I feel like it was more like intranet than internet. It seemed to be... Well, I mean, like mail was... Societies and affiliations yeah. and... Well, mail back itself when it was, was around, more intranet. Mail itself. Yep. Yeah. What about that? Back in the day. Back in the day, uh, you know... Oh, it's not, I lost it. Sorry. Back in the day, uh, email was really just intranet-based. The idea of sending a message was really only to someone else on the same server. And that's what these early email protocols and programs would do. Ah. And then oh. instead of having it a server on your or local network, local it becomes network. a server on an external network. And then that's internet mail. Sure. The, the um, concept of email goes back so far. Um, I think... I think one of the biggest mind-blowing things in my life was when I read Ender's Game, and they're talking about emails and, and message boards, and I keep flipping back to, hey, when is this book written? And it's 1986 or something like that, and they knew well ahead of time that that was how people were going to communicate in the future. That's right, and our I think studio, by, sorry, I think our by studio audience you was just it, interjecting. Uh, what were you like saying, Christian? Least, I think by 86, you at least had uh, like these um, these like certain... I know message boards were actually pretty popular. You had to Wasn't, like dial in or something. Well, yeah, no, they had dial in email. I think all of those services like yeah. Prodigy and CompuServe were around, but they, they were wouldn't. Calling it the, email? The, sorry, they were calling it email. In the Hold 80s? on, but the but the federation of email hadn't happened yet. So you could send a mail, you could send a message to someone else on CompuServe or Prodigy, but you couldn't send a message to someone else on another service. Ah, yeah, and, which is also which goes all the way back to the same kind of intranet mail system uh well, I'm, and, pretty much, I'm pretty sure right up until uh just at, shortly after aol 1.0 if that was the thing was the you had to be on this service to email other people exactly and then and there, for a while when text messages came out uh you had to be on the same carrier in order to receive a text message those weren't federated into later was it? I thought it was that you just paid like a ridiculous amount. No, that too. But you also yeah. what the text messages because they were they were it was it was they were different frequencies. They were different bands. It was they were completely separate systems that had to be, talk to each other, and that wasn't handled. Standardized and all that fun. Yep. Yeah. Do you and we'll remember? Talk? Do you Sorry? remember when you couldn't text someone on a different network? Pepperidge <clears throat> Farm remembers. <laughs> remember when phones were only black and white. <laughs> I had a few in high school. <laughs> really funny. A lot of our, um, so much of our world today comes from these commercials that AT&T made. I don't know if you had heard of them. Uh, they were called You Will, made in the early to mid-90s, 1993 to 1994. They were these futuristic commercials that were talking about things that seemed completely crazy for the time, like sending a fax on the beach. You heard these commercials? <laughs> No, mm -hmm. well, Here's, maybe. I've got well, one handy. Were these like the, these were like the AT and T back back when like Bell Labs was associated with them, right? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The good old so days. all that all the technology that we use today that we kind of take for granted Came was created by yeah. Well, let's, and now now it's looking like it's going to be Google. So well, you know, let's Google's probably let's, uh, let's like strap on Labs, the so uh, the time capsule goggles. That does not make sense. Let's <laughs> let's put on the time capsule goggles, crystals, <laughs> and take a look at what the future was twenty three years ago. Have you ever borrowed a book from thousands of miles away? 
across the country without stopping for directions or sent someone a fax from the beach you will and the company that'll bring it to you AT&T okay um, <laughs> they haven't updated the GPS voice believe? in 20 years was that David Duchovny doing the voiceovers <laughs> I thought it was Morgan Freeman or Jeff no. Bridges. I thought I think uh, Jeff Bridges. No, I think it's David Duchovny, who was also really big in 1994. Um, it was the same GPS lady voice. <laughs> it was. Wow. Um, yeah, no, it's really, it's really. Oh, I yeah, mean, that, have you ever? That's all about labs. That GPS voice, by the way. <laughs> have you uh, ever lady. opened a book from a thousand miles away? Have you ever sent a fax on the beach? We have this thing called the internet. It will change your life. What does checking out a book mean? <laughs> Sorry, what was that, Tyler? What you, is you, checking you, please out please speak book up. Mean? I can't hear you that well for what, some reason. What does checking out a book mean? Like at a library. I know. I'm being sarcastic. Like, like the oh. generation now doesn't even get that concept. Uh. <laughs> right. Moving on. Moving on, <laughs> uh, there's another. Oh, oh, there's a there's a second AT&T commercial. I'll play. I'll play later. They, they have a whole plethora of these. It's really really funny. But before we get more into that, let's find our GitHub issues of the week. Our first GitHub issue is from React. Thanks, Christian. Shocker. The, it's called. <laughs> Because I have to do it five days a week. Why not add it in on Sundays? No. No. Um, it's called uh, Error in Using Immutable Data Structures Section of Documentation. Uh, do you want to re- request a feature or report a bug? Report a bug. What is the current behavior? In the Optimizing Performance section of the docs, there is a subsection called Using Immutable Data Structures. At the end, there is a sentence, quote, In this case, since a new reference is returned when mutating X... Can we safely assume that X has changed? The sentence should read, if my assumption is correct, quote, We could safely assume that X has not changed. If the current behavior is a bug, please provide the steps to reproduce. Oh, this is from the template. Um, and it says the doc in, document in question is, is here, and it's in the doc for optimizing performance. What is the expected behavior? Uh, we just, that's basically it. Wow, they've reiterated themselves a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, let's go back. In this case, since a new reference is returned when mutating X, we can safely assume that X has has or has not changed. Christian, as our bouffant of knowledge, what is the correct answer? <laughs> this is an English issue. So, uh, okay, it's an English issue. Trick question. <laughs> well, okay, why? Uh, uh, this is not my area of expertise. <laughs> oh, English. String parsing uh, in English I, is not your expertise. Any <laughs> <laughs> no, proposition. Um, Next question. Okay. Well, it yeah. says, uh, okay, in this case, since a new reference is returned with mutating X, so you, you X is a variable, you change it, you mutate it to something else, uh, then it returns a new reference to X after the mutation occurs. Can we safely assume that X has or hasn't changed? Well, there should be no assumption that either way, if it's the same reference. But well, it's a new reference is returned, so it's changed. not the same reference. This guy okay, and when code examples. Yes, yeah, no, this guy's wrong, because when you say when mutating X, if you're mutating X, X is then, in fact, changed. 
But if a new reference is returned, why would that need to happen if you're changing it? If a new reference is returned? That's what it says. In this case, it's since a new reference is returned, the value of X has X. changed. No matter, if you're mutating X, if you mutate something, therefore it's changed. But then yeah. it says, if my assumption is correct, then we can safely assume that X has not changed. So he wants it to, they want to change the document to say, uh, if a new reference is returned when mutating X, we can safely assume that the, X hasn't changed? What? The, va- the value that X was pointing to uh, has not changed because it's a new value. Yeah. Well, okay, so, like, that's, okay, that's your English. X now points to Y. There's so. the English, right. So it's, yeah. if the value that X... It's the value so of guy, X, not X. This guy, this guy is wrong. He's thinking uh, because, like, the, you, say you're, take, you're passing in an object, it's going to be a new object, and X is the reference to that object, not the object itself. Okay. So, so. The, the where X was pointing to has then changed. Very good. Yep. Okay, let's move on to our next GitHub issue of the week. The second issue also comes to us from React, and it's Different in React. Different React. <laughs> it's a React PHP? Yeah. Oh, my God. Kill me now. Guess, oh. guess what it is. Like, read, about, read, read the readme before you read the issue. How did I not know this existed? I do React and I do PHP, and I didn't know that there was a... And I'm sure this is not the same it's thing nothing, at all. No. Not at all. <laughs> Event-driven, non-blocking I, non IO with PHP. Isn't that like a LibUV, but yep. for PHP? Yep. Why didn't they just call it that? Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Okay, uh, RFC, support uh, PHP 7 Plus only. With the PHP 5... Oh my god, it is coming up soon. The PHP 5.6 end of life! Oh no! That's, I mean, I've been running PHP 5.6 on my CentOS 4 servers for 12 years now, and they're all, it's all the whole <laughs> stack's becoming end of life. Next, they're going to, uh, end really, of life you're and really patching 1.4. That, hey, I can be remote. You're really broadcasting that, uh, those, uh, security issues there, aren't you? <laughs> Did I build a website uh, for you before? It's going to break down. I prefer to call those, uh, remote procedure calls. Anyway, um. <laughs> remote procedure calls are purposely made. I know. That's a callback to the joke we-, we talked about last week. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Thanks, With studio. the PHP 5.6 end of life uh, coming up soon, and our and all our 1.0 releases working from PHP 5.3, even though we strongly recommend 7 plus and upwards, I think it's time to stop dropping support for PHP 5 altogether. This would open up features like the, bre- the, the, the shorthand array notation, like JavaScript, which actually the, you don't need PHP 7 for that, uh, and, the, and the colon colon class constants. I, a lot of this stuff actually... Oh, yield, okay. Yield would be uh, nice in 7. Uh, and of course, all the goodies PHP 7 brought. This guy wants to uh, require PHP 7 support. And the response is it might be nice. Okay, you can say that for any request. It might be nice given the PHP version uh, dis- distribution, there's a typo, uh, to keep 5.6 on the supported list for a while. Uh, the mentioned benefits should all be supported, though I've seen some yield features me- missing. So maybe 5.6... Okay. So this is uh, just asking for harsher support. And this actually wasn't too... Wasn't, this wasn't too crazy of an issue. Another no, trick question. Just, uh, <laughs> just what? 
Well, uh, one, I think it's a, uh, it, it was an interesting project to show you specifically, oh. but, uh, thanks. Uh, no, it it's is. also, but it's also like one of those in- interesting things to see that this is the way the community thinks just, Oh, well screw the old version. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've become a, what have you done for me lately society, the country that invented democracy and mathematics is selling off islands right now. So we didn't, we didn't invent, uh, mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, was I know. I know that that was on purpose. Yeah, um, that was on I'll have to save this one for later. Okay, uh, our let uh, we have five, and this is number and four. Also, okay. And also, Greece didn't invent mathematics either. Actually, they didn't invent mathematics. I don't think they even the Egyptians. No, that, that they comes from the. Back. the at, at, Ma- I guess well, a lot, they invented from, a part uh, of the, mathematics. And uh, other cultures had different slices of mathematics that they invented. Exactly. Well, the concept of zero comes from uh, actually uh, one of the uh, Indians. Uh, I watched the thing uh, uh, on, on. I watched the history of maths on Netflix to Christian. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I did. Wait, th- th- that's a thing. I, oh, I did, oh I'm that. sorry. Yes, no, no. The history. Oh, it's a great miniseries. Uh, it's called the History of Maths because they're British, and uh, it talks <laughs> about the these the these major sections of mathematics and how and where they came from and the cultural significance oh, of the number cool. zero and the cultural significance of trigonometry, uh, or sorry, the significance of the number zero and the significance of trigonometry tie heavily into the uh, into the the uh, Indian culture at the time. And oh, that's I, cool. I'll yeah. have to give that a watch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. On Netflix, completely free, not a solicited advertisement, though I would like them to pay us or anybody, really. Hey, anyway. similarly, <laughs> has anyone seen The Map of Physics? It's a YouTube video. No. No. Absolutely excellent, out. because there's so many aspects of physics. There's quantum physics and classical physics, and there's even other parts of it, and there's parts where they intertwine. So uh, definitely go check that out on YouTube. Uh, great, great uh, guy. And then he also did A Map of Mathematics. Uh, not as good as the physics one, but also very good. Huh. Good to know. Our fourth GitHub issue is, uh, comes to us from Forge. And the, and the title is The Performance is Unexpectedly. That's it. Uh, today, <laughs> I test the, test the TensorFlow TF iOS example with my iPhone according to the introduction in the TF website and source code. I know it uses Apple's... Ex- I'm not reading the horrible grammar. I'm trying to auto-tune the grammar live. TLDR. Yeah. Um, well, because Christian, last time Christian stopped me, and he was like, no, I want you to read the Arabic. <laughs> I know it uses no, Apple Accelerate framework. I build the protobuf and TF source code. Okay. And, uh, if it's bad enough, tensor, it's worth trying. <laughs> and tensor, and TensorFlow source code on my Mac. Then run the iOS example. Uh, I record the time with this code. And the time is fast, and there's an example. The time is fast, only 90 milliseconds, and I know that uh, TF's iOS example uses the Google Inset... What? I'm getting lost in this, Christian. The yeah, TensorFlow's I, uh, iOS example uses the Google so Google Inception I, V1 I posted, model. I posted this because this is like, let's glue a bunch of frameworks together. I thought it was a bit entertaining because of that. Oh. Yeah, okay, yeah. well then, if that's what this is, then, then okay. So, uh, I know if the whole... Then this is the whole, to whole be, thing. To be fair, it's machine I know learning. Te- the so. TensorFlow's iOS, exa- iOS example use the Google Inception V1 model, and I test Apple's example, which uses the Google Inception V3 model. The time is slower. Metal is more slow in the, than the Accelerate framework. I cannot understand. I do not think there is too much different feature that affect performance between Inception 1 and, and version 3. How to explain it? It's a lot of frameworks. Yep. Well, it's machine learning, so I don't really blame them. But, yeah. I mean, I, I, the thing is, is that 
the the framework the framework inception which actually is not to be confused with the framework with the capital called inception the framework inception is i think a modern mm. dilemma of of software development everything is kind of congealing into these lego blocks and you just well, lego build your way to a website i said the one area that you don't don't really see that is systems and not also not yet just also uh t- particular companies like you look at anything google builds it's all from scratch usually or using libraries that they manage or they have their own fork of Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, let's let's pick up the pace a little bit. Our last GitHub issue of the week is do not use annotation for init containers. This comes from ISTIO. The init containers Istio. is now... Istio. Okay. The init containers is now graduated to GA, general availability, and it is better to not use annotations but to use the pod spec directly when calling... Is he, is he, uh, Istio CTL cube dash inject. You'll have to explain all of this. What is Istio? So Istio is a project that just came out like very recently. It, it is uh, kind of like glue on top of a lot of this cloud native technologies. So like uh, uh, Lyft's Envoy uh, uh, proxy uh, software. Uh, Kubernetes is a big part to it. And uh, a few other uh, little goodies in there. Uh, like uh, I think... Uh, uh, there's uh, one I'm forgetting, but offhand. But it's uh, basically uh, what, uh, what it is is a, a full platform that by c- uh, c- connecting all these things, you could also swap out Kubernetes for something like Mesos. Oh, and it's just managed traffic flow across your entire like platform. So it makes, it makes the orchest- orchestration things possible? Well, the... the, the uh, so it's like uh, sending requests to specific areas in your orchestrated uh, cluster. Gotcha. Interesting. So what? Why is this an issue? Uh, just give me a second to go back to the issue. Is just do not use annotation for init containers. Uh, so the, the, this is going to be kind of interesting to see, just because it's uh, two two uh, projects that Istio got a lot of hype all of a sudden, and Kubernetes is uh, actually the most active project on GitHub right now. Interesting. And Jesus. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Do you if only you could somehow get residuals from Kubernetes, but you can <laughs> because it's open source. Yep. Yes. Okay. So, is that uh, all that you have to say about this one? Well, uh I was going where, where, where I was going with this is to say that uh the different paces of development are going to make things like this exact issue be very prevalent and it'll be interesting to see what happens to this Istio project. Why? Because it's just going to be playing catch up with uh, Kubernetes a lot. Oh, but I mean that's kind of the pro- a problem that any any new project has, wouldn't you say? Actually, Kubernetes figured out a really cool way to to deal with that with Docker, and that's by uh, creating so this. Um, Istio uh, has to play catch up to Kubernetes. Kubernetes has to play catch up to Moby Docker. Uh, well, now it just or has no. to deal with breaking changes. Breaking so, changes, okay. Uh, yeah. So what they did is they created a wrapper. Uh, well, I should say a wrapper spec, so it's a different protocol to talk to Docker itself. And so when Kubernetes just t- actually deals with that protocol, and the shim that uh, talks to uh, ideally container D, the underlying part of Docker, or any other container runtime called the CRI, uh, deals with actually talking to Docker, container D, etc. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that was a nice uh, rundown of this week's GitHub issues. And now... The news. We've got, like I said, there was that horrible 
uh, terror attack, it has been confirmed there were three jihadi knifemen that hurt 30 people. Six of them were killed. This is coming from the Daily Mail, which is not the most reliable news source. But, you know, I mean, why would they lie about this um, on London Bridge? And I was trying my hardest to come up with a bad London Bridges falling down joke. I don't know if I have. Um, but, like I said, people... Too soon. Pe- I have people on both sides... No, listen, you say what you want about that, but people on both sides of the Atlantic are, are using this as yet another reason why... In none of this attack... I don't know what part of this attack involved encryption or involved the internet, but... Well, Theresa yeah, May mean, and all these other... And, and, and Macron and... and uh, they're going to argue, and no matter what attack it is, it, that, that there is going to be some some form of communication that could have been intercepted over the internet. But the well, okay, could have been intercepted over the internet. The amount of performatives that these people want to throw out makes it not impossible for it to actually happen in real life. But before we get to that, let's hear it. Well, I guess let's hear the coverage of it from our news department. May murders the internet. The sequel. Presents news to you. London Bridge, Saturday, June 3rd. Many people were falling down on London Bridge yesterday after a white van plowed through 20 people. With attackers then going on a, quote, stabbing frenzy as described by the Daily Mail. 30 people were hurt, six were killed in total. Despite the horror of the attack by three jihadi knifemen who were shot, since shot dead by the police... Leaders around the world have wasted no time in trying to crowbar their political agendas into this appalling attack. Prime Minister Theresa May, after quickly sending her thoughts and prayers to the victims, cut back on her horse of internet regulation. She said, We cannot allow this ideology to save space it needs to breathe. Yet that is precisely what the internet and these big companies that provide the internet services provide to these attackers. While forgetting that proper encryption is simply mathematics, these jihadi terrorists may not have used any service provided by major internet companies to carry out their attacks, thereby completely obviating any effects and consequences from forthcoming governmental regulations. And so many Americans are afraid of what happens next, we at least know the world still turns and the truth marches on. That's why this has been News to Use. Brought to you by Pneumonium. That falling down joke was just a little too soon. Okay. It was pretty good, though. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah it's good. But... Anyway, the point is that uh, the even if they, they get their way, even if they make encryption illegal, because, as we always like to say, Christian, encryp- encryption is in Christian, in Christian, mm-hmm. when you encrypt yes. Christian. Uh, <laughs> when you when You, you should claim me dinner first. Oh, okay, when you encryption somebody, then you dechristian somebody. Uh, when you Ooh. encrypt, when you encrypt something, <laughs> it's what Christian? It's the idea of it's mathematics. Like we're, oh, oh, you're looking for the usual. Okay. Yeah, the, you, yes. We got to start. We have to remind. We have to bang this drum every day. Encryption is math. You can't outlaw mathematics as hard as you may try, because it's math. You can just do it. So, my, my, my qualm is this, that even if the EU managed to get their data, you know, snooping stuff, and the UK, the snoopers charter 
is in effect. Theresa May, that's why she's trying to do this. Uh, if the UK get what they want, if the FBI and NSA get what they want, and they ruin internet security, it won't stop these, it won't kill the safe spaces that these jihadi terrorists have, because they're not going to be using a, wait, hold on, they're not going to be using a service run by these companies. They're not going to be using a service run by Google or Facebook or Microsoft or Apple. They're going to be using a hand-rolled solution. So when Theresa... They usually use Telegram, it turns out, from the rumors... Okay, but I bet that now that that's out, they're going to use something else. Telegram isn't owned by Apple or Google or Facebook or Microsoft. Where are they going to no, go? No, it's, it's owned by a Russian guy. But uh... Exactly. What's going to happen? What's going to happen when they go to this Russian guy and they go, hey, can you show us your stuff? And he goes, no. Work, and they're like, well, you need to work well, with us. And they'll talk about how... Uh, so my question, know, and this is an honest question. I'm not even making fun of the government here, but... Do they think about their secrets they want to hide? Like, most politicians do, in fact, have mistresses. It's been discovered. Yes. I mean, and it's also been discovered that a lot of, a lot of politicians that were against child pornography were found out to be pedophiles. I mean, you know, a lot of politicians that are vehemently against gay marriage were found out to have, a, you know, a, a heteros or a homosexual uh, mister. It tends mistress. to be the most anti-gay ones. That do Mike Pence, stuff. we're looking at you. Yeah, so <laughs> he he did go uh, to a Broadway play after all. Between uh, <laughs> oh, between <laughs> the between governmental secrets, which you know, government you know really is not doing a great job of keeping their secrets. Look at WikiLeaks. Look at all of these plays. Look at all these leaks that are coming out. The government needs encryption to prevent this from happening. But uh, government security and financial security are two reasons why we do have end-to-end encryption now. And, med- and you know, medical security are three reasons, great reasons of many why we have, why we continue to need end-to-end encryption. But the big, the big challenge for these people like Theresa May and Emmanuel Macron and people like – first, people like Maxine Waters said that this attack was because of uh, climate change. I can't even. I'm not going to go on a political rat hole, but they're, they're like I said, politicians crowbarring hor- horrific incidences, crowbarring their political political oh, can't talk today. Political agendas into horrific incidences are more perverse than any stupid pun I could make. So that's true. I don't. I don't know <laughs> what happens here because this is that we talked about Theresa May murdering the internet a couple weeks ago, and. Now she's using this as another, just another shoot, you know, uh, drop in the bucket. Here's my point on it, or my take, is that um, as much as they want to monitor everything, you can't stop encryption. As simple as math is involved, you don't even have to involve math so much. You can just change what corresponds to what in the alphabet and make it a secret and pass it along. And it, well, that's been proven to That's, that's a transposition hacked. cipher. It's not that secure. Yeah. I mean, you... Okay, well, could, you can make it more complex, but yeah. Right. No, by using real encryption, but that's not. Um, no. The, the, it's math, it's, it's, and that's it. It's, it's uh, I mean, they even managed to, to, to crack those Enigma machines, and they were the hardest thing. That's, so that didn't happen until, what, 10 years ago? So, yeah, they had, um, anyway. uh, what's his face, uh, Lannister there, uh, tell uh, uh, Doctor Strange to uh, hack the thing. Right. Doctor Apparently Strange? Seen, Doctor, Doctor have you who? seen the uh, Turing movie, which is actually in a fantastic movie? Oh, no. With the innovation game? Uh, imitation game. Imitation game, sorry. No, I really, really yeah. wanted to see that. 
Oh, it's fantastic. I really suggest you see it. It's on Netflix as well as Amazon Prime. Interesting. Okay, well, that's two things that we've we've uh, plugged for Netflix. Maybe they could sponsor us. Um, speaking of internet freedom that's being killed, really quickly, um, I, I see that you guys added this. Uh, FCC Commissioner Ajit Pai is uh, advancing a plan to kill net neutrality, of course, as we know, but let ISPs and com- like Comcast and Verizon slow down or censor websites or apps, like you know what the government tries to do. His plan would make the internet slower and more expensive, blah, blah, blah. You've heard this all before. But the idea of having ISPs censor things, I think, is new. And this might be something that a lot of people, for wrong reasons everywhere around, might get behind. I mean, you know, the, there, there are people that want Breitbart censored. Should it be censored? No. Is there a lot of disagreeable stuff on there? Yes. Should you read it? That's up to you. I don't know. I could see this getting support from both sides of the aisle. If only they were just news. <laughs> there, the news, there is no news anyway. The news now is the ticker that you see on the screen below what CNN has. Yeah. I was yeah. at the gym the other day, not to get too political, but I was enjoying uh, I was at the gym and Fox News was in front of me and it was right at the time when the president had said officially pulled out of the climate pact and uh Fox News was completely ignoring it and was saying uh <laughs> and was doing a big rundown of all the excuses that Hillary has come up with <laughs> for the last 6 months. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's funny uh, on both sides of the coin, did Fox, actually. Did, <laughs> Fo- did, did Fox say, and this is the first time Trump's ever pulled out of anything? <laughs> yeah. No, but I did hear plenty of No matter of how many times Melania has. Pulled out. <laughs> uh, oh, I guess they have some, the audience has some sympathy for Melania. I'm sorry, Christian. Yeah, because she has to take that nasty dick. Yeah, no, I was going to say, who, ha- who doesn't have sympathy for her? My God, the poor woman. The thing yeah, well, she sees. The poor woman. At least, at least she doesn't have to commute to Washington every day. She gets yeah, to stay she, right here in New York with us. She's cashing on that one. She's like, I don't even have to see that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yes, while it's important to call your congressman and, 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 and uh, congresspeople to prevent Ajit, Pla, Ajit Pai's uh, horrible Ajit net neutrality. Pai. Ajit Pai? Did I add in an L? Ajit Pai. Yeah, I, I don't know where you placed it, but I heard it in the first Ajit name. Ajit Pai, that's how you pronounce it? I've been yeah. mispronouncing his name Ajit for Pai. weeks. Uh, while it's horrible, we also need to realize that the, that the government should not be, or private companies should not be allowed to ban websites just because people disagree with what's on it. Unless it's illegal. Uh, the de- it depends. The definition of illegal. Because, okay, well, there could be, because some speech one. could be deemed illegal and then the website has to come down. That's true. That's where this is going, too. Remember that hate speech is very much illegal online in the EU and the UK. And they're trying to make that happen here, but we've got our nice little constitution that's holding up remarkably well during this assault on uh, personal liberties. I think a good rule to start would be uh, as long as no one's getting hurt and not willing well, to no, do so. Well, no, that's the problem. <laughs> no, that's the problem is people, there's, people have conflated words with violence, and then they're getting hurt. They're saying that uh, anyway. We're getting this is getting too political, but because yeah, we're going to go and go, we would go into a whole safe space thing where it's, some people need safe spaces, but terrorists can't have safe. Oh, I got to work on an <laughs> argument. Let's talk about 
uh, not email. What are we talking about this week? Let's talk about mobile web development. Here's another. I only have two of them. Here's the other. You will commercial from AT and T. Have you ever paid a toll without slowing down? Bought concert tickets from a cash machine. Or tucked your baby in from a phone booth. You will, and the company that'll bring it to you, AT and T. There we go. Uh, I love that. I, I, I wonder. It feels good. I wonder, like, what they in the in the recording session. Or they like just you know like an ex- annoyingly high falsetto just improv over this. <laughs> and if and you, like, that, you know Michael Jackson. Good. We want Michael Jackson and Prince, but like each one's uh, frequencies uh, uh, placed on top of each other for a higher frequency. Yes, all those things that they've mentioned in those commercials have happened though. I, I buy concert tickets from a cash machine. That's even toll. older. You, Sorry, I'm waiting for the toll one. Do you tuck well, your baby in from a phone booth? Have you ever hit a toll <laughs> without getting out of your car? But, um... Well, it said without slowing down. Oh, without slowing down. Oh, well, that hasn't happened yet. You're right. Easy Pass is still yeah. working on it. Then, and you only have yeah, to slow down to 40 slow miles down. an hour, but that's still slowing. Unless you're... Nah, yeah. not, in, not in New York. It's, you know... No, yeah, you, you can go 60. You can go, 60, you just don't you can go your full six miles an hour on the highway. Through the toll plaza. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, mobile web development. The first access to the mobile web was commercially offered in Finland at the end of 1996, which was after these AT&T commercials came out. It was on the Nokia 9000 communicator. But, uh, you know, if I... What if I were like, in 1996, on the Nokia 9000 communicator phone? Sounds perfect. Via the Sonera and the Radio Linha networks. They are Norwegian. Uh, this was access to the real internet. The first commercial launch of a mobile-specific web browser-based service. Let me read that again. The first commercial launch of a, of a, mobile web, a mobile-specific browser-based web service was in 1999 in Japan when iMode was launched by NTT Docomo. Docomo. And... Uh, yeah, it's and it has exploded ever since. And that's the whole talk on mobile web development. So we'll see you next week. No. Uh, <laughs> it's really... I mean, what else and do you need to know? You take, out your far, you take out your phone, you hit Safari, and it's there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I use Chrome, actually. Yeah. Uh, Chrome actually has a problem with uh, having... Uh, with with having to refresh web pages, like if you're actually playing a long form media file, Chrome, mobile Chrome has a problem with refreshing web pages. Like there's a radio show that I'm listening to uh, the uh, archives of, and it, I download these files. They have a, a audio player, an HTML5 audio player for the audio files, and each file is <laughs> like 90 minutes. If I start playing it and I, I lock my phone, it does keep playing, but. After like twenty minutes, sorry. After like twenty minutes, I go back to Chrome and the whole page refreshes, and I have to start all over again. Not only does it refresh, it logs me out. It has some this some kind of like, issue. Oh well, you know, I yes, I guess if you ran the OS run made by Google, then their browser might work better. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, much like the same with Microsoft and Apple. Vertical integration. Exactly. Vertical integration is a real thing. They it can join really tri- triangles well. of, uh, what is that? The tessellating triangles? No, they can join triangles. Is it just can join triangles of business? Oh, I, don't, I don't know. Is this a Jewish joke? <laughs> no, wow. No, it's <laughs> Silicon that Valley. Two things. Oh, Silicon Valley. Oh, you know, action that's Jack pretty Barker. obscure. Yeah, no. Is it, though? I barely remember that reference. <laughs> anyway, the first mobile browser for a PDA was called Pocket Web. It was made for the Apple Newton. <laughs> no, that was the <laughs> game that you could play after you launched Pocket Web. I'm number one in the nation. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nobody's yeah, contesting you, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, Apple Newton in 1994, followed by the first commercial product, NetHopper, in 96. That me. sounds official. I mean, the, you know, anything net was uh, really big back then. This so-called microbrowser, uh, oh, sorry, microbrowser technologies, which are these really tiny web browsers, such as WAP, which is the Wireless Access Protocol, we'll talk about that in a second, uh, NTT Decomo's iMode platform, which we just men- mentioned, and OpenWave's HDML, a handheld device markup language platform, fueled the first wave of interest in wireless data services. And there was actually, despite the basically nothing that existed on the mobile web in the late 90s, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of effort, a lot of technology that were, was invented and, and, and scrapped before the mobile web arrived as we know it. And it's, I don't know, it's very interesting. Because, Christian, uh, were you using the mobile web in 1999 in Japan? In, in what? Sorry, you cut out. Oh, I said, were you using the mobile web in 1999 in Japan? No, no, it's not. No. Did you have, were you playing Pocket Pool on your Newton in 1994? Uh, no, but I did have a handspring PDA that was actually older than me. It was pretty cool, and I got really? to play Snake on it. Yeah. Uh, did that have a uh, web browser? It did. It didn't have what connectivity, though, without, uh, like, apparently you had to get an extension card with an Ethernet. It was weird. Or, or a slider extension card. For yeah, so this one had uh, extension cards in the ba- in the back. And, it's a PDA. Uh, Isn't the card yeah. like the same yeah. size as the device? Well, you only could have one extension card at a time. I, I, the only one I ever had was an MP3 player extension card. It, what? Which held which held up to twenty minutes of, of music. Well, when you say extension card, is it like those those old PC cards from the night? No, like, no, 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 no. Okay, no, no PC like MCIA cards, not those. Okay, they they almost look like uh, the the original Game Boy uh, game uh, cartridges. Oh. And you had one that was just a, like, MP3 player, and you could slot Play it in. Play 20 minutes of music. That's funny. Was there I a Game st- Genie I for your Stairway Hands to Heaven, Black, Back in Black, and some other songs. <laughs> nice. Um, well, let's talk about this whole old mobile stack, because it is quite interesting. Uh, since they had to transition from a completely analog radio-based uh system for, you know, cellular phones and the, the, the voice service for over the cellular phone networks to a completely packetized, a packetized digital kind of service that emulated what was on the actual internet. So you, then you could view real websites on your mobile phone uh, at a very, very slow speed. Um, let's see. We talked about first mobile browser. Uh, hold on really quickly. There was... 
Oh, before we continue, sorry. Uh, if you can look at the screenshots of Pocket Web, I mean, it is very black and white, very text-based. Uh, and a lot of these early browsers... I'm actually quite surprised at the layout of Pocket Web because so many of these old web browsers, not even just on the phone, I mean, even on... Even on desktop, in 1996, I was using, using HyperTerminal to use a text-based web browser before we got AOL. Um, it was, yeah. So, like, Pocket Web actually having real images and somehow text support, I don't know. It's really cool. Um, right there on the Newton, which, al- which also used very rarely, and this was before Steve, this was also before Steve Jobs came back. And the Newton, the box of the Newton used a left-handed model, hand model, which is why... I liked it. Um, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Opera Mini was the first versatile cross-platform mobile web browser. And it still exists. Oh, I remember Opera Mini. <laughs> I mean, Opera Mini still, is still around. You can probably get it for your iPhone. You don't have an iPhone. For your, for your Android phone. Um, if you really don't want the internet to work well on your phone, get Opera Mini. Well, the thing is, is that <laughs> o- Opera Mini was... Was or Opera was known for having the like the, the most esoteric builds of their browser. So if you managed to get one of these Nokia phones that had the text, you know that that you really had text internet, you could d- download Opera Mini onto it and try to make it work. It didn't really work that well, but it was much. It was the best I think at the time and the widest supporting web browser, which was a really big deal back then. Also ironic now, as it's the worst. Well, that's because they haven't kept up with it. Eh, oh, sorry. They haven't properly kept up with the modern web. And modern web browsers have made mobile versions of their desktop clients. I mean, everybody has. There's a mobile Safari. There's a mobile Chrome. There's a mobile Firefox. There's a mobile Opera. But because there's the other three, you don't really have to use Opera. It's true. Um, if you don't do front-end development, just know that Basically, any pseudo-modern feature that you want to use on mobile browser uh, will be plagued by uh, Opera Mini not working or, if or supporting it. It's, uh, it's right. Wild. The, be- the better thing is, and this is not one of those jokes like don't use Windows, which isn't too no. much of a joke because you shouldn't. But uh, if you can get away with not having to support Opera Mini, that would be nice because, because of what you just said, Tyler. Uh, the, their yeah. lack of support for really modern things means that you may not really be able to get everything that you want working and working at least somewhat well and looking at least somewhat good in Opera Mini. So if you are stuck on a project that has to use it, you have my condolences. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are... one. Well, Opera also has this extreme data-saving mode where they proxy your requests to another server uh, for some reason. Uh, it says the functionality of Opera Mini Extreme Data Savings Mode is somewhat different from that of a conventional web browser, with the amount of data which has to be transferred much reduced, but with some loss to functionality. Well, okay, there, that's the whole thing. Yeah, we can save you a lot of, we can make the performance a lot quicker, but you can't do anything. Oh, Chrome uh, safe to uh, say... had a very Chrome has a very similar idea on on Data Saver for Chrome. Well, here, here, It'll, really uh, quickly. Actually, it really, well, proxies your the website to a near uh, server first. Right. Okay. So that's that's what this. They probably ripped it off of Opera. Opera Mini fetches all content through a proxy server, reformats the web pages into a format more suitable for small screens. Good luck making your stuff work properly with that. 
Uh, so not only is the, is it, are the requests rerouted, but the page is reflowed by Opera's engineers. Uh, <laughs> a page is compressed and delivered to the phone in, in a markup language called OBML. That's Opera Binary Markup Language, which only Opera Mini can interpret. The, the data so compression using, makes transfer time about two to this. three times faster, and the pre-processing improves the display of web pages not designed for small screens. I actually remember using this uh, back in the pre-Android days, and the, even the pre uh, before the, uh, it was that th- there was that thing to do the uh, redirect. Once you got the user agent, be like, "Oh, let me redirect you to my mobile website instead." This was before that. Ah. It looks like it yeah. does support JavaScript, but the JavaScript is processed on the re- on the proxy server, not on your device. Mm-hmm. So good luck with that. There's a small screen version of Opera Mini with fewer than 128 pixels. Like I said, despite the lack of things that it can do and the probably horrible rendering it has on mobile, Opera Mini is extremely versatile. It really is. I mean, it, it, this is what you need to get people from not having internet to at least being on the internet. Then, then going, then from once you're on the internet, you can work on having a better experience. Uh, in but the don't small, use super, it if you can. In the small screen rendering mode, the page is reformatted into a single vertical column, so that it need only be scrolled vertically. Which, I mean, okay, that's a lot of mobile web pages. Uh, but long list of navigation, but I, this is also for the time on the internet where everything was in frame sets, uh, like the Space Jam website, which still exists. It's um, great. Long lists and navigation bars were automatically collapsed as, by a feature known as content folding. A plus sign is displayed next to the collapsed content, like an accordion. Wow. So they're messing with your stuff, but in a good way. Yes, and guess who else is messing with your stuff? Google. Google is taking a page out of their book, but we'll have to save that with their advanced mobile pages. But we'll have to save that for next week. Um, let's see. Uh, Opera Mini and its web browsing. Uh, there's a nice graphic here of the evolution of mobile web standards. And uh, if you look at that, you can see uh, you have like unstandardized HTML turns into HTML2. There's HTML in 1996, and then there's CHTML, IHTML. I've never used these. The WML, the web markup language we'll talk about in a second. And then it kind of mixes with XHTML, and then out just comes HTML5. It's, it's almost like looking at a map of bank mergers, where you're like, back in the 70s and 80s, there were all these banks. There were a ton of, ton of these small little regional banks... Or I dotted around the country. Now there's five banks, and you just watch them all kind of consolidate. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. So let's talk about the uh, wireless application protocol, or WAP. Uh, anything to yeah. Uh, there's the WAP protocol stack because it is. We like stacks of things. Allowing the interoperability of WAP equipment and software with different network technologies such as GSM and CDMA. So they developed, we have these completely different cellular technologies that need some kind of standard to encapsulate their traffic that are also that were also analog voice transmission at the time. So Oh, this looks like a TCP on top of UDP type thing. It basically is. You've got your wireless datagram protocol, WDP. 
uh, or I should change the emphasis, WDP (laughs) instead of UDP or TCP, uh, functions as an adaptation layer that makes every data network look a bit like UDP to the upper layers by providing unreliable transport of data with two 16-bit port numbers, the origin and destination. Uh, All upper layers view WDP as one protocol. But which has sec- ah, which has several technical realizations on top of top of other data bearers such as SMS or what is USSD? You suck something D. Yeah. Okay. Only <laughs> you suck some dick. There you go. Who Whoa. else but Quagmire? On native IP bearers such as GPRS, which was the two G format uh the umts packet radio service or ppp remember that christian the point-to-point protocol uh on top of a circuit switched (laughs) data connection wp is in fact exactly udp so what this is saying is that wp wdp is an abstraction from either the old old technologies of of uh of of the radio of the radio-based cell network or if you're using a digital cell network then it just is udp uh, there's WTLS that does the same thing as TLS, but just, you know, wirelessly. Uh, WTP, the transaction protocol, uh, provides transaction support like a reliable request and response interface adapted to the wireless world. It supports more effectively, WTP supports more effectively than TCP the problem of packet loss, which occurs commonly in 2G wireless technologies in most radio conditions, but is misinterpreted by TCP as network congestion. And I would assume that you do need a more heavy-duty packet loss thing when you're transmitting your packets literally over the air. Uh, and then WSP, the session protocol, is a compressed version, basically, of HTTP. The protocol suite allows a terminal to transmit requests that have an HTTP or HTTPS equivalent to a WAP gateway. The ga- this gateway then translates those requests into plain HTTP. So you like acronyms. Yes. I mean, and, and, and uh, you weren't there for the first half of the email discussion. That was a lot of acronyms, too. Sounds uh, like you're selling me TV channels. Yes. <laughs> you uh, can't watch or side TV effects, on these. Or side effects to a hair loss drug. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There's a WAP push, the wireless access protocol push. Uh, it, it allows content to be pushed to the mobile handset with minimum user intervention. Think of that as a push notification, but in, you know, 1996. A WAP push is basically a specially encoded message which includes a link to a WAP address. On receiving a message, a WAP-enabled handset will automatically give the option to access the like, push notification. That's basically all this is. Uh... Since this behavior raises security concerns, some handsets handle WAP push messages in the same way as... Oh, I see. I'm sorry. Uh, There are two types of of push messages, service indication and service loading messages. And some of them handle them the same way. Doesn't matter because nobody really uses this anymore. Um, (laughs) A re-released version of this WAP, wireless access protocol, was released in 2002... Uh, but that was something that nobody noticed because even fewer people, you know, few, ah, sorry, few people were using the mobile web then. But it was an attempt to modernize it because it was a cut-down version of XHTML with end-to-end HTTP. So it doesn't need all of that custom protocol stuff that we just talked about. So Getting closer. We, by 2002, this whole WAP protocol stack was obsolete. 
And then by 2007, the whole mobile web was obsolete when the iPhone came out. Thank you, iPhone. We'll have to talk about the iPhone and stuff next time because now we're just kicking it in the 90s. (laughs) Wait, that wasn't a 90s song, was it? I don't think so. That was the 2000s song. Anyway, I don't have any 90s music. In West Philadelphia, born and raised. Actually, I do have. Actually, you know, you know what? I do have some 90s music on here. (laughs) Okay, Um, (laughs) that's enough. The WAP had its own image format called WBMP that sounds like a radio station. Coming to you live at WBMP FM. Um, I just hear the BM. bump. <laughs> the bump. The BM. <laughs> we do coke in the bathroom. You're listening to the bump. WBMPFM. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. We, uh, the, there's HDML, the uh, wire, the handheld device markup language, like we briefly mentioned before. Um, that became. The wireless markup language, WML. Now, I'd like to talk about WML really quickly because it's really weird. I hadn't, I haven't seen that many things that look like HTML or XML, but uh, the, or I guess that WML is a subset of XML, but that have these non-standard doc types and other markup languages. WX, uh, WML is a subset of XML, and it has the XML doc type and header at the top. And it has the uh, metaphor the, or usage paradigm, however you want to call it, of WML, is with decks and cards. And you have cards in a deck. And the, the page is known as a deck. And the screen on the page is known as a card. Data in the deck is structured into one or more cards or pages, each of which each of which represents a single interaction with the user. WML decks yeah, are stored... Yeah, I wonder why this didn't stick, because it seems like something that so many mobile websites Well, well no, what's really do. funny is that this pattern has been adapted. The pattern has been adapted into modern web design, uh, but the literal syntax is not. But, I mean, this is just XML anyway, so the literal syntax is still basically XML. But mm-hmm. uh, it says, WML decks are stored on an ordinary web server configured to handle the, the serve the MIME type. We talked about MIME types two weeks ago. Uh, text slash vnd vendor dot wap dot wml is that's the mime type for that uh, the wml cards when requested by a device are accessed by a bridge that's the wap gateway we mentioned which sits between mobile devices and the world wide web passing pages from one another much like a proxy the gateways send the wml pages on in a form suitable for mobile device reception as a uh, binary xml which is just what a binary representation of XML. Uh, that's got to be fat, and not the '90s PHAT. I mean, the like it's bloated. Um, interesting. Nah, I don't know why. Why would you do that? Than text. Uh, Dub- it should be smaller than text. Binary you, you XML encoding. Yeah, you strip oh. all the encoding information. I, I I thought it was XML that like wrapped binary data, not binary encoded XML or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm imagining it being something that you, in a sense, compile. Uh, it was developed at the WAP forum, and since 2002, blah, 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 maintained. Uh, usage includes ActiveSync for synchronizing device settings, address book, calendar, notes, and mail. SyncML for transmitting address book and calendar data. 
Like, it sounds to me like protobuf, the binary XML. Okay. Yeah, it's a binary representation of XML. Yeah, it's like it, it's like an old school th- idea of like what protobufs, protobufs are. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's like old school WebAssembly. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> not that. Not, not, not that. No. I uh, tried. She tried. Uh, let's see. Uh, gateway send WML pages on form suitable for device reception, as in WA. Okay, okay so it transmits the, WA, the WML uh, content as binary XML. Interesting. This process is not hmm. hidden from the phone, so it may access the page in the same way a browser accesses the HTML using a URL. Example.com slash food WML. Provided that the mobile operator has not specifically locked the phone to prevent access of user-specified URLs, which is a thing. Just like you can lock down a Windows 95 machine to disable the run prompt, but then you won't actually be able to get it back because Windows 95 only has one user. Yeah. WML has a scale. I had a problem with that in high school. Um, I mean, sorry, I, I created that problem, but that's how I found that out. WML no, that's, has like a that, scale. that's at the time I had only one user on my work laptop, and I locked myself out of pseudo. Oh, Exactly. That's yeah. Exactly. Um, I had to boot in a live disk and uh, ma- mount the uh, logical uh, vo- the LVM volume, which good luck figuring out that without a, a wiki. Oh, they had to get a new computer because this um. was in two thousand one. <laughs> and who's who sells a Windows ninety five? Guys, I mean. this computer is now a paperweight. Basically, <laughs> uh, we uh, we're also playing very many virus ridden DOS games. Which jeez, that day. I guess I did just turn thirty. I didn't think it was. Because it was still this century. I didn't think it was that long ago, but holy crap. Um, WML has a scaled-down set of procedural elements which can be used by the author to control navigation to other cards. And again, then there's an example where there's like a card tag and then you put your stuff inside of it. It's very, I mean, it's not too far away from modern web design in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, coding patterns and, and, and representations and metaphors. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they were on the money. Yeah, they were actually much more. They were think, thinking much more futuristically than people who were making actual web pages at the time, like us. Uh, people <laughs> tried to like story. put the full internet on the phone, and it didn't work, and they went back to this. I don't think they. I don't think no anyone ever tried to put the full internet on the phone because they knew it was impossible then. The only person who was crazy enough to think about it was no. Well, I shouldn't say that. The only I person mean, that was crazy enough to properly execute it was Steve Jobs. I remember there, there were those uh, like the Palm Trio had those. Um, like what? What web browser was that? Because there were web browsers before the iPhone, of course, but they were yeah. not real. They they did not have real layout engines. They all required this WML. They all viewed these mobile web page these like really low quality mobile web pages they yeah. wouldn't just try to fit your actual desktop page in the mobile Dang, some window. of them would just strip the text out of the html or something like that right or try to make or make a text version of your page which is horrible yep. i remember um, it was a grab bag or sometimes it would come in like a full-size web page and i would have to shrink it down to tiny proportions and sometimes it would like kind of size to my mobile browser it was totally uh it was just it was not uh uniform at all it was a grab bag of responses Right, right. Uh, there was a JavaScript light uh, version that was included with WML called WML Script. It's an ECMAScript. It's based on ECMAScript, but it is not exactly JavaScript. Oh, it probably didn't have the uh, browser built-ins. Does not have objects or arrays. 
Well, back then, well, I don't do think it did. Arrays? Christian? What? You cut the, out. Despite the syntactical similarities, they are two completely different languages. WML script does not have <laughs> objects or arrays, which JavaScript has. That's a pain in the ass. On the other hand, it does allow you to declare and include external functions from other scripts. Hmm. That's so, so it looks like they did confusing. import 20 years before uh, JavaScript yeah. did. But then they didn't have yeah, arrays? Uh, Come on. Arrays? Come on. Well, guys. you don't need... No, this actually sounds much closer to what uh, when they were creating JavaScript, what they wanted it to be. Because they wanted it to be Scheme, which doesn't have objects or arrays. What you do is you build a linked list that you then can uh, and take that and build that into a But everything a, is, uh, is an object in JavaScript. No, but in Lisp or Scheme, where I learned how to do this stuff, which is exactly what they wanted in the browser as JavaScript was Scheme. Everything is just like a double can actually, linked list. No, you can build a linked list out of a function. Oh, out of a function. But then functions are basically yeah. objects. Oh, and that's how you... No, they're it. not. No. No? They, they, it's, well, the, it's the values object. that they return. It, it, it's the value that the, the function returns that is then the object. But it's not really an object because it doesn't have objects. So it's just this value that you're dealing with where you say, I have the, this thing that... Uh, Would you consider you structures to be objects? More. Uh, in, I could say that... You can use structures in an object-oriented way. Because you still have... You would still have these structures, just not as objects if, you're, if you have linked lists, right? You still have a structure I, I for would, the linked list node or the... Link, or the, or the uh, I guess that's all the, the only one you need in a linked list. Well, all you have to say is you, you pass this thing in and then it, you, you have a series of nodes that uh, this function knows to return. Hmm. Oh, you know what it might be? I think it has tuples. That's the thing that I'm thinking of that you need to do to do uh, this stuff. Tuples? Yes, tuples. What's that? T-U-P-L-E. It's like a key value, right? Similar. It can be used as one depending on the language. Generally speaking, it's just a pairing of values. So like in Python, it's just n pairings of values. In no particular uh, order or, or, or anything like that, although it is ordered, I should say, but it's just you group them together. Uh, essentially, it's a finite ordered list, but it's just a matter of this tuple has this set size, and you'd have to create a new tuple to get a larger one, and it's also not indexed, but it is ordered. An n tuple or tuple is a sequence or ordered list of n elements where n is non negative. There is only one zero tuple, an empty sequence, but a one tuple is a singleton, a two tuple is a double, and so on. Interesting. Yeah, it's ordered, basically... Oh, ordered pairs. So an ordered pair would be, excuse me, would be a tuple. Yes. So a tuple is basically an ordered set, is what it comes right. down to. Okay. Interesting. I should have known that. Well, that's my TIL for the day. <laughs> it looks like, uh, oh, the last thing I wanted to talk about or mention about this uh, vintage mobile web is .mobi. In the early 2000s when we were, when, when the mobile web was just kicking off. There was uh, this musician named Moby. and There was this musician <laughs> named Moby, and then he started working for Docker. And uh, <laughs> no, uh, the, the the TLD top level domain dot mobi 
was supposed to be used as a mobile TLD. So you could say, go to my mobile site here, and then all the webs- all the phones and other things will know that, oh, this is mobile because it's .mobi. Much like people wanted .XXX for porn, mm-hmm. which I think would be great, but now it's just <laughs> every TLD. Um, well, it makes searching through your history a lot easier. No, exactly. No, I, I mean, seriously, <laughs> yes. And fire. I mean, group policies for firewalls and content... Uh, policies it would be so much easier mm-hmm. if you just said all the porn has to be so, on this TLD. I do remember seeing a few dot mobies back in the day, but I think what, what what ended up actually being more popular is the mobile dot uh, um, subdomain. Oh yeah, m dot or mobile dot. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And now with these URL shorteners, those seem to be the the thing. But I mean, responsive, real responsive web design is is killing mobile sites. And and because yeah, you you, you, know, you really don't have this anymore. Right. This was this was a symptom site. of the you have your desktop web page and you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to view it on the phone. It's not even gonna be squished. It just isn't gonna work. So you sh- you should have a dot mobi, which is basically text, a couple images. Uh, there are sites. Well, no, it that, got to the it got to the point where it was just a separate website developed for the uh, your, well, your phone. yes, yeah, but I mean your your mobile site in 1999 was just your you know. Well, that Moby wasn't around until like what oh, 2005. Yeah. yeah. Also, what was around in the middle of last uh, decade were these services that would take your website and make it. They still exist, but they were much worse than that. Would take your, an existing website and try to make a mobile version of it, and it, it is. I mean, I, I I don't these these transmogrifying tools that. I know last week I went on this rant about the right once deploy many software solutions where you, they, they say, oh, if it works well here, it'll work well everywhere. It, that uses the same kind of principle of crap that these will take your desktop website and turn it into a mobile website will use. Um, yeah, because of I hate MobiFi for that reason. It, it, unless you have a very standard layout, unless you, you know, don't make, let's call it, an exciting web page... Uh, it'll you know if you if you just stay in the lines you'll be fine, but if you want to create a unique look for yourself or a nice presentation, they really do a nice job of messing it up. And I think mm. that's the best place to leave vintage mobile web development. Hey, and next on, week we can talk about the more modern stuff. On that subject, uh, interesting little transition here that I saw just a sweet demo of. Uh, What's that? This week someone showed a demo of. Uh, machine learning uh, uh, program that was able to look at like a web page and build an HTML code it in HTML after seeing uh, a few other examples. Wow! It basically, looked at a Bootstrap page and saw Uh-oh. the components. It's so like that's a button, that's a button, and wrote it all raw HTML. I'm gonna be out of a job. Oh, Eric's out of a job. <laughs> I had a nice twenty-year career in web design. It did it in Xcode for an iOS uh, layout, and it did it for in HTML. It was pretty wild. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, I, you know, I didn't think that my job would be able to be automated by a computer because I was using a computer to do it, but it is. <laughs> it is. I mean, between I mean, Squarespace is already uh, trying to eat my lunch, and they're just one of many now. <laughs> that was years ago. That was years ago that they. But like. I, I knew they were a risk a, a few years ago when they when they cropped up. Now they're bigger and better, and there are other do-it-yourself website solutions. Then there's this, which is going to eat those companies because why actually why even make a website when you can just like draw a few boxes and then the computer makes the website for you. WordPress stole my lunch money. I, I no WordPress <laughs> was my lunch money for a very long time, and now uh, modern web development is eating it. So I've had to transition. 
And I have the same problem that these cult people do. I, you know, I, I, was, I didn't think it would happen to me. I didn't think it would happen to me in my 20s, but it is. So I have to realize that if I want to keep about having 30s. a career in this industry, I have to keep up with the times, and I have to change with the industry. I can't expect these jobs to come back because I voted for some new guy in charge. Ario Speedwagon would advise that you roll with the changes. I thought it was rolling hey, yeah, with let the, the good uh, times rolls. Rolling with the something. Roll with the changes is a different one. Uh, away I, the time. <laughs> There's an awesome bit I wrote with the changes by the, sc- by the Sorry, Sklar Brothers. That? There's an awesome uh, bit by the Sklar Brothers from the 90s uh, on Comedy Central uh, in a stand-up special. And they do the world's first straight man's cabaret to roll oh, the changes. And they play air guitar on tennis rackets and just jump around. It's that excellent. was in 2003, I think, or 2002. I'm glad someone else has seen it. Yes. No, and they did the whole <laughs> – it was right after this. their Chopper 5 bit, right? Chopper 5. We see a man <laughs> down in the Hudson River. Chopper 5, we actually see your chopper, and we're on the scene. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and the Sklar Brothers, much like us, are now unknown and have a podcast. So <laughs> works out really well. Uh, <laughs> one thing that I wanted to end tonight's show on, because uh, I'm trying to end things on a nicer note, or at least a funny note, is uh, a Reddit thread that's, called, that's titled... Accidentally destroyed production database on first day of a job and was told to leave. On top of this, I was told by the CTO that they now need to get legal involved. The question is, how screwed am I? That's the whole title. <laughs> it was a so, great read. Well, I'm curious. To what degree did he break the database? Because within my first week at my current job, I broke the database. But there was only well, a single collection I broke. You are not no. a junior software developer. This guy person. wiped very the far broad. No. no, you know what, though? At my company, it's, it's a rite of passage to break something. Apparently, everybody's broken something. Good. Well, here, have a look at, the, at this sad song. We also, run, we also run 35 instances of Mongo, so that's how it broke. Oh, that's cool. A large uh, Mongo cluster is eight servers. Why not 36? We didn't need that many. But that's a power of two. Yeah, but no. Just like eight. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, 36 is not a power of two. It's multiple of two. It's not a power of two. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, power of six. You have that one. (laughs) Six Mm. squared is 36. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Anyway. Today was my first day on the job as a junior software developer and my, was my first non-intern posi- internship position after university. Today, I screwed up really badly. I, be- I was basically given a document detailing how to set up my local development environment, which involves running a small script to create my own personal database instance from some test data. After running the command, I was supposed to copy the database URL password username outputted by the command and configure my dev environment to point to the database. Unfortunately, instead of copying the values outputted by the tool, I instead, for whatever reason, used the values that the document had. Unfortunately, apparently the, those values were actually for the production database. Yeah, that's how whoever made that documentation then. Yeah, someone's yeah. an idiot. Yeah, why they're not? Why they're documented in the dev setup guide? I have no idea. Then, from my understanding, that te- then from my understanding that te- uh, that the tests add fake data and clear existing data between test runs, which basically cleared all the data from the production database. Honestly, I had no idea what I did, and it wasn't about until thirty or so minutes afterwards that someone finally figured it out and realized what had gone wrong. 
While what I had done was sinking in, the CTO told me to leave and never come back. <laughs> he also informed me that apparently legal would need to get involved due to the severity of data loss. I basically offered and pleaded to let me help in some way to redeem myself, and I was told that I, quote, completely effed everything up. So I left. I kept an eye on Slack, and from what I can tell, the backups were not restoring, and it seemed like the entire dev team was on full panic mode. I sent a Slack message to our CTO explaining my screw-up, only to have my Slack account immediately disabled not long after sending the message. I haven't heard from HR or anything, and I'm panicking high to high heavens. I just moved across the country from this job for this job. Is there anything that I can even remotely do to redeem myself in this situation? Can I possibly be sued for this? Should I contact HR directly? I am really confused and terrified. Edit. Just to make it even more embarrassing, I just realized that I took the laptop I was issued home with me. <laughs> I have no idea why I did this at all. Uh, this poor guy. First of all, in contrast, mine was much less severe. It was just well, let's not talk about you. Good. Let's talk about this guy. No, and... I had to redeem myself there, but come on. But uh, no, this is this does sound catastrophic, but it is totally on the documentation. It's on the documentation. Well, what what I don't understand is so it's that they're testing. Also, I, why are they getting? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. It's Mongo. Wait, I would, I would bet. Wait, I would bet anything that no, it's Mongo. We're missing. We're missing the real problem. We're missing the real problem. The real problem is why do we give junior devs access to a production database at all? You, well, you shouldn't be, but it was because it's in the documentation that they did. But No, but and, he shouldn't even be doing something that tests what he's doing in, in the production database. Also, if you're sense. getting really behind that DevOps culture uh, movement, it's actually the idea that everybody has access to production and everything should be fixable. It sounds like these guys are in a bit of, of like a crappy production environment to begin with. And then they're not careful. Their documentation is bad. Interesting. Oh, I thought you were going to have a third thing. Uh, if their backups nope. aren't working, too, then they're obviously screwing something else up. Yeah, it sounds like this was a recipe for disaster all the way around. Yep. Whoever wrote that yep. document needs to take the brunt of this fault. Yeah, it does but not sound like it's on this guy's uh, – it's not this guy's fault. But what I don't get is – I'm reading this again. Unfortunately, instead of copying the values output by the tool, I, for whatever reason, used the values that the document had. So the the the, the uh. So the the script that they ran created a test database with some local credentials, but he used the credentials that were provided in, in the documentation, which just happened to actually select the production database with write access. Wow. Terrible. That is. Why would you give him... Yeah, that's the other thing. How, how is it that you can have write access to the production database on what's supposed to be pulling data? I think it's just testing the... I don't, I, I don't know. It's probably just testing his access to the database. But rather than using the, the, his account in his local database, he's using the production account in the production database. Yeah, just dumb which, all over. One, he, why, he, the mean, question is why. He did, I don't well, know. Well, so it, it, I guess it's a bit more of like a. It, the, the argument is he didn't follow directions. He should have used what was uh, put from the script. Right, he didn't but follow directions. The but also, why does the documentation have working credentials for the production yeah. database? So it, it really does come down to like this. Uh, I'm surprised. Well, I guess I get why they bring in legal, but it really does come down to you have to have a better lawyer in that case. 
Yeah, and some of the responses from the decisions made here, the CTO needs to be fired, not you. Another one, your CTO is an idiot. You are certainly, here's another one, you're certainly not unique. Here's another one. Don't worry, it's not your fault. I'm sure you've already got that message from all the other comments. Been there, done that. It did take me a little longer, a month in. This is you, Christian. I trashed the payroll DB for 5,000 employees. Now, Oops. Look, first of all, all I trashed were uh, about a day's worth of uh, logs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the consensus seems to be the developer is not – it's not – I mean it, he did it. He shouldn't have done it. He made a mistake. But it's not really his fault. The fault, I think we can all agree, lies in the people that made the documentation, the yeah. people that included working production credentials in a documentation that is, could be read by anybody really. I feel like for his next job, he should just bring this link up in the interview and be like, I'm that guy. <laughs> that's at or that's a good interview <laughs> test. It's a good interview question. Here's a scenario. What's the what's the problem? <laughs> so yeah. here's the answer. I take the whole production database. Ah, uh, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> Very good. Well, I'd like to say that I think on that bombshell, it's time to end. So we. Uh, I need to. I didn't go on my usual three hour walk before the show, and that always I can't get in the right headspace unless I do that. That's uh, not super time efficient, buddy. No, it's not. Maybe I mean, yesterday should, I walked yeah. to uh, Coney you, Island. You need better that time was nice management, forum. man. Maybe you should try a meditation. Actually, uh, I got re- referral uh, to like a, a very nice infographic about the benefits of meditation, and it seems like basically everything that oh, just, coders I, actually, do. I, uh, I, I might have seen the same thing then. Yeah, a lot of like just focus yeah. and efficiency and your ability to, to concentrate longer and get in the deeper zones and and just have less stress, everything that developers need. So if you're a developer out there, maybe look into it. I actually might do it myself this week. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I, I did it a lot last year for a little bit when I was uh, really trying to get stuff done under the gun, and it made things just so much more manageable just to be able to take, like, uh, 10 to 15 minutes and just clear your mind. Right, but I need the energy. I need the amped up. I need the not just Oh, the, you feel, to you, you feel amazing to, afterwards. Okay. 20 minutes. Well, you feel amazing afterwards. It's just like... All right, yeah, I'll give it, it a shot. It's like, yeah, it's like you took a good nap, but you were awake. <laughs> well, on that note, I think it's time to end. So, Christian, do you agree? Do you approve of this week's pull request? LGTM. Tyler? Absolutely. Well, then let's all hit merge. And we'll see you next week right here on Pull Request. This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on Pull Request do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium LLC or its subsidiaries. This week's theme music provided by Wolfpack. Visit them at VULFPECK.com.